What a joy it is to welcome you on this first Sunday of 2018. I'm delighted that you're here. I hope you have your Bibles in just a moment. We're going to be opening them to Matthew chapter 14. It'll be our text. Today I want to camp with a dear friend. His name is Simon Peter. This morning I'm going to talk about him in the storm, and I'm going to talk, to him, talk about him tonight when he came through the storm and met Jesus face to face following the resurrection. All of us know what it is to go through a difficulty, some more than others. Some of you in this room, I've been told, are a walking miracle. When you got cancer, the doctor said your hopes are slim to none, and you're sitting in worship this morning singing, To God Be the Glory. Some of you went through a tremendous car accident. The doctor said, I'm not real sure you'll be able to walk again, and now you pretty well do what you want to do because God saw you through. Some of you went through a storm, and you're forever marked like Jacob. You still limp from that storm, either emotionally, spiritually, mentally, physically, and sadly, some cases, morally. The storms of life are very real. What happens when you see a, somebody going through a great storm or a great accident? First thing you do is stop. If it's a highway accident, you stop your car and see what can I do. And then if you got a cell phone, you call 911. And then you join with the others who are circling. Somebody perhaps is hurt saying, what can we do to help them? And somebody's saying, don't move them. And somebody else saying, well, let's at least try to cover them. And there's all kinds of opinions on what needs to be done. Some of the topics we're going to talk about in this series are about storms that can be created by us, poor decisions that led to some pretty difficult times. Most of the storms that I'm going to talk about in this series are some that you and I could not have possibly helped, nor did we cause. We were the, we were the location, not the cause. The topics are going to be handled with, uh, the topics we're going to handle will be very diverse. I've got 12, I think, we're going to look at between now and the end of March. So each Sunday will be a, a different topic. Some of those will be things like adultery. In a world that's gone crazy with sexual misconduct, do we even know what God's will is regarding uprightness and purity? We're going to talk about what happens when there's adultery. Somebody's going to talk in this series about what it's like to lose a child. No mother ever gives birth to a child, believing that child will precede her in death. But some of you in this room have stood at that very difficult moment and said, what in the world, how in the world am I going to get through this and what in the world am I going to do? We're going to deal with homosexuality. In an era where sex is now God of America, we need to discuss what is God's will regarding sex. The world says anything goes. There are 58 descriptions now of gender. I just had two when I went to school. I'm way behind. In fact, the Bible is way behind. It just says God created them male and female. But then when you throw the Bible out, you come up with lots of speculation, don't we? I want to deal with somebody who's been raped. We're going to ask, and this person asked me some time ago, Pastor, this happened to me when I was very young. I've never talked about it, but I feel that if I do not talk about it, I've not used one of the worst experiences of my life to talk about how God saw me through. I can't imagine so in case you think these are going to be just some little light subjects, we're going to throw up there and just see what you think. We're going to get real about storms, talk about the storms and the pain of storms and the agony that accompanies storms. Some weeks we'll have a speaker, some weeks we'll have a video, some weeks we'll have a panel. I, I don't know what all we're going to have. But after the series, each Sunday, starting next week, we're going to make available a bibliography that has sites you can go to, books you can read, articles you can read on every one of these topics 
so that if you say, well, pastor, that didn't really deal deeply with what I'm dealing with, and there's going to be opportunities for you to do some research on your own of trusted sources that we found in your behalf. In every case, I'm going to be very honest. The people that speak to you, I've asked to be very honest about their feelings, about if they felt like I'm not going to make it, I want them to tell us. If they had a time when they were mad at God, I want them to tell us. I've been mad at God. And if you're honest, you have been. And some of you this morning can barely worship because you are today. (laughs) I want them to tell us. Because again, if we're not honest with our feelings and our faith, we'll never be honest with the victory that is ours. So we're going to be pretty, pretty direct. As we start this series, I can't think of anybody I'd rather talk about and learn from. The disciple of Jesus who was always either really, really up or really, really down, really right or really wrong, he was very rarely lukewarm. The name's Simon Peter. I think we relate to him. We want to do good, but sometimes our mouth gets us in trouble and we hear the rebuke of God. Sometimes we want to do more than we do, but we don't do what we ought to do. And he has to say, come back over here, get back where you belong. And that's Simon Peter. His heart was always in the right place. His behavior just didn't always match up. This morning I want to talk about Simon Peter and a storm, and it's not, I'm not going to preach this uh, exegetically, I'm going to certainly stay with the text, but I'm not going into the Greek meanings of words and that sort of thing. What I want to do is approach this text from a position of one who's in a storm and where his focus needed to be and how God saw him through. Because most often when we fail in the storm, it's because we can't see beyond this moment. You and I have had those times when all we could see is the present hurt and we've lost sight of the many good things around us. Satan is a master of closing us off and isolating us and and then began to pour into us everything negative. And we feel like, well, it's just hopeless. And if you have not been there, then you've not lived very long. Because every person that I know has had those moments when they question, what have I done? What, What can I do to correct this? How did I get here? Dear God, where are you? And if you say, I've never related that, then this is going to be a long series for you. Because there are going to be some moments that are bluntly honest when you feel like the heavens are brass and God has changed his phone number and you're not available. And you say, well, I can't believe you'd say that. Well, read the Psalms. Read 2 Corinthians where Paul said, I didn't even want to get up. I despaired even of life. There are great men of God who struggled wondering, God, where are you? So I'm not alone and you're not alone. But what we're going to come out the other side is finding out we really are not alone. (laughs) The Lord God is with us, even in the valleys, and even in the night times, and even in despair. He has not changed, and he does not move except to come toward us to draw us to himself. So I want you to look with me this morning. Matthew chapter 14. You know this story. If you've been in church any length of time, if not, you're about to be delighted with one of the great stories of Scripture it's interesting, John, John's gospel only tells two miracles. John's gospel only tells two miracles in the Galilean ministry. One is the feeding of the 5,000, and the second is this miracle of Jesus walking on water, which is the very following miracle of, of the 5,000. Now, so, so often, because of time, we can't today either, but if we really had the time, we'd go back and be with Jesus all day while he's teaching the multitudes, and then he feeds them, and then he puts the disciples in the boat, and they've not only been up all day hearing him preach, but now they've been up all night rowing, and, and they're about to be, they're somewhere between 3 and 6 of the morning. Most fishermen up at 5 or 6 to start 
to start their day's work. So these men have been up about 24 hours when this episode happens. You and I both know when you've been up for many, many hours, your body's fatigued and your mind's fatigued and your spirit's fatigued and your emotions can be a little bit frayed. Let's pick up the story in Matthew chapter 14. It says Jesus, in fact, let me just go back and we'll get the last part uh, of the story. Verse 19 of chapter 14 is the feeding of 5,000. Jesus commanded the crowds, those 5,000 sit on the grass, and he took the five loaves of fish. He, he, looking up to heaven, he blessed them. He broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them the crowds, and everyone ate and was filled. They picked up 12 baskets full of leftover pieces. Now those who were those there were about 5,000 men and besides the women and children. So if every man was married, that's 10,000. If every couple had one child, that's 15,000. If they had two children, that's 20,000 people. This is a pretty good-sized megachurch that had met that day to hear Jesus preach. They'd been out there all day. This wasn't a one-hour sermon. They'd spent the day. So the Bible says immediately, verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. We know why from John 6, because John 6 says the people were seeking to make Jesus ruler by force. Some have even speculated these 5,000 men had basically come to say, you're going to be the Messiah and we're going to be your soldiers and our families and, and, and us as men are standing with you to take down Rome. Now that's not stated in scripture, but the picture is not unusual because many times when false messiahs would arise, there would be great men, uh, great armies of men who would stand with them and say, we'll do what we got to. We want to be out from bondage. And some believe this was an attempt on the part of 5,000, not only just listen to Jesus teach, but believing if we hear what he has to say, we like it. We're going to fight with him. Wouldn't that been something? And so the Bible says Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. Why? Some have said because they were the ones going around saying, yeah, keep, keep that up. He's good. Why? Because if he becomes king, what do they become? The cabinet. That's a long stretch from pulling in fish from the sea and sitting in the cabinet meeting with the king. So some have said their own selfish interests were at heart here. Keep that going. Make that, make that happen. We, we believe he is the Messiah. We get, get us in there. And the Bible says Jesus forced them to get in the boat. Some have said, no, they weren't, they weren't the campaign managers, but they were sure susceptible to the virus. And so what Jesus was saying, before you boys get some mixed emotions and wrong ideas, get in the boats. The Bible says the word's very strong. It's a picture of a commander. He made them, he commanded them into the boat. John, or excuse me, Matthew 14, 22. And then he went ahead of them to go ahead of them to the other side. That, that's what he told them. Now, now that's going to be important in a minute because they don't remember it. You know, sometimes, I know, I know it's going to shock you. We don't always remember everything we're told. I knew it'd shock you. What did I preach on last Sunday? I don't know either. But see, we, we forget, don't we? Huh? We forget. And so sometimes when people tell us something, we don't always remember. Jesus, Jesus told them something they weren't listening. Go, to, go on the other side and I'll meet you there while he was dismissed the crowds. Now let's pick up the story. Verse 23. After dismissing the crowds, he went up on the mountain to him by himself to pray. Now, this is interesting. When evening came, and you almost hear the sigh of relief in his voice, they're gone. He was there alone. It's like after Christmas when everybody goes home and you say, shh, listen, isn't that beautiful? They're gone. Jesus has been with 5,000 all day, 20,000 if you had children and women, and the disciples also who are always saying, Master, now what did you mean by this? And suddenly he's alone with his heavenly Father up on a mountain at night by himself, verse 24. 
the boat. The boat was already over a mile. Now there's a discrepancy between the Gospels. John says they've gone three to four miles. Galilee, Sea of Galilee is 13 miles long, but at its widest point where they were in the northern part of the, the sea, it's eight miles across. And from where they were over to where, uh, where, where perhaps this miracle happened is probably somewhere around six to seven miles. John says they've gone three to four miles. And John was in the boat. Matthew was a tax collector. Bible says they'd gone some distance. The boat had gone some distance from land, battered by the waves because the wind was against them, meaning they hadn't, gone, they hadn't even made it across yet. Now it's around three in the morning. He put them in the boat at evening. Was that six? It's springtime. If you put them in the boat in the evening to get the crowds dismissed, he's got to dismiss them before dark. So maybe five or six, they're in the boat. They've been going from six to midnight, midnight to three. They've been in the boat at least nine hours and gone three miles. It's not going good. The boat was a short distance, a distance from the land and battered by the waves. That's why they weren't making good headway and the wind was against them. And around three in the morning, Jesus came toward them walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. And immediately Jesus spoke to them, have courage, be strong. That's the word. Don't be afraid. Have courage. Be courageous. Be men. It is I, and that's the word for God, I am. Don't you be afraid. Be men, I am. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter said, command me, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to him, come. Climbing out of the boat, Peter started walking on the water and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the strength of the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand, caught hold of him, and said to him, You of little faith, why did you doubt? It's the only time this word appears in Greek. The word is, when were you pulled in two directions? What is doubt? When I'm focused on the Lord, and then I start getting distracted, and he said, Wait a minute, where's your faith? And that's why I said, You of little faith didn't take much to change your focus, did it? Just a, a wave and some wind? Peter, when were you pulled in two directions? Good question. When the storm hits, where's your focus? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And then those in the boat worshipped him and said, Truly you are the Son of God. That's quite different. In the Matthew chapter 8 where it talks about Jesus sleeping on a pillow in the boat during a storm at sea. He got up and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And when, when he did that and the sea grew calm, they said, What manner of man is this. Now, later in his ministry, after feeding the 5,000, their time with him, it says this time when the wind got calm and he got with them in the boat, they worshiped him not as what kind of man, but as the son of God. So their faith is going in the right direction. Three or four things I'd share with you this morning is foundational to a series about storms. First of all, the disciples the disciples are closest friends of Jesus, we know, and they were right exactly where Jesus told them to be. Now, isn't that a shocker? This ain't going to play well in Tulsa. Tulsa's the land where you know, never know illness, and you're never supposed to be sick, and you're always going to be rich, and you drive a Cadillac. If you just have enough faith and plant the big enough seeds, you're going to get. Pardon me? Maybe the New Testament would be a good reference. Who sent them into the storm? One at a time, please. Jesus. 
The Bible says he put them in the boat and told them, go to the other side. Now, he didn't tell them what was between here and the other side. He didn't tell them how long it's going to take to get to the other side because they didn't think they needed to know that. We've been on the other side a thousand times. We know this part. We, we're at home on this boat on this ocean, on this sea. We know, we know this. How many Monday mornings you get up and say, get with you later. I got this handled. And Monday by 10, you're saying, dear God, where are you? Anybody? Bible says he told them, go meet me on the other side, but they weren't listening. See, see, when the storm comes, if you're not careful, you forget what you learned in the light because you're so hurting in the dark. I'm going to take you to the other side. Not one of those disciples, when they're in the middle of that storm, said, don't be afraid. He promised he'd meet us on the other side. Not one. I think it's interesting they were there because that's where Jesus put them. The Bible reminds us, run the race that's set before you looking unto Jesus. It says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Every day of your life is written in his book before you live one of them. The Bible teaches us wherever he's placed us, there's a purpose for us being there. In verse 22, it says, I'm going to meet you on the other side. I've got something else we need to do there. There are more miracles, more, touch, more healings, more teachings got to happen. You go before me. I'll meet you there shortly. Every time God sends us somewhere, there's a purpose. And evidently what we encounter along the way, unless we're just deep in sin and do something stupid... If we're walking with God toward God's will in the middle, middle of where God placed us and we get an assault, we can rest assured the Lord who put us on that path has already provided the armament and, and warfare weaponry we need to be victorious. He put us there. He wants us to learn that our trust in him will see us through because he's sufficient. When we cannot see Jesus, this is one good principle you can put down and Right and bold print in the cover of your Bible. Even when you can't see Jesus, he can see you. Y'all not listening. Even when you can't see him, he knows just exactly where you are. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says he went up on a mountain to pray, and yet when he needed to find the disciples, he didn't have to send out several boats. Said, they're out there somewhere. I'm not real sure. If y'all can kind of get it, I know it's windy. Boy, I know it's a storm, and I wouldn't send you, but there's some of my best friends out there. Y'all need to get on these boats. Go see if you can find them. He didn't send a search party. No more than he sent one for you and me. I will come unto you. I will never leave you. I will not forsake you. I am the good shepherd. What does a good shepherd do? He goes out and finds that sheep, and he brings them to himself. He knew exactly where they were. He hadn't lost them. He hadn't misplaced them. He went on a mountain to intercede for them. He is ever interceding for us at the right hand of the Father. Our high priest, who is at every point tempted like we are, but without sin, he's a present help in a time of trouble. And by the way, in the evening when it says he was alone, it wasn't because he's antisocial. He'd been with people all day. It wasn't because he's mad at his disciples. He's with them all the time. Why, why, why was he alone? The word alone means he wasn't with flesh and blood. Every time Jesus got alone, who was he going to go be with? Father, wonder what it's like when Jesus prayed. Did he pray out loud or did he need to? Did he just sit in such quiet meditation that his spirit took control and the Holy Spirit of God just communed father to son? 
When he prayed alone on the mountain, was it like Gethsemane where suddenly his face was like lightning wherever he was? Suddenly he illuminated with the glory given to him before the foundation of the world. When he, pray, when he prayed, did, did he perchance, did he perchance on some occasions enter literally the presence of the Almighty physically to come back and walk among us again so he could be refreshed? I don't know. But I know one thing, to be alone with God in prayer, if you're the son of God, is a pretty, pretty powerful moment. Now, guess what? He's, we, we read this so quickly, we don't get the setting. It's nighttime. It's nighttime, and there's a storm on the sea. So even if it wasn't that bad on the land, at least it had to be pretty strong winds, and there was overcast. You're not seeing, you're not seeing the stars and the moon. I mean, it's in a beautiful spring evening. This is one of those, if you have the news, they've got that tornado warning thing that takes up a fourth of your screen. You know what I'm saying. You you can't watch anything but the storm because they say, we want you to be sure you know you're in danger. If if, if the Sea of Galilee had had that, they would have been on storm alert because this storm was enough that the disciples who were pulling for all they were worth as professional fishermen in a boat they knew like the back of their hand had been able to go, had been able to go about about 1,700 feet, about 1,700 feet per hour if they'd gone three miles in nine hours. 1,700 feet is not far when you're pulling with all you got and your back's the oar and somebody's got to be bailing because they didn't have a bilge pump. And, And every time one of those waves breaks, you're getting wet and can I mention they're men, and they're not probably the happiest in the world. You ever been out sitting in a boat in the rain and get pelted by water, and then you're trying to get to shore, and those water droplets are like BBs stinging your flesh? Are you singing Kumbaya at that moment? I didn't think so. These aren't the happiest campers on the, on the scouting troop. And now they've gone this distance, and the Bible says this storm is strong and Jesus is up there where the winds are likely gusting. By the way, eagles always soar in times of great adversity. He's on the mountain. And you know what he's doing? Just like just like Joshua when Moses uh, just like Moses when Joshua was fighting the battle, he says, I want you to write this in a book so Joshua can read it. Aaron and her were holding up my hands in prayer, and as long as I was praying, Israel gained the victory. Be sure Joshua reads that why. It's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord, that victory comes. Jesus up there praying, where is he when you're in the storm? I'll tell you where he is, ever interceding in your behalf. I'm so grateful I have a high priest who knows everything I've been through, says he was tested in every point like me, but boy, very different from me. In every point tested like me, but he never sinned. Hmm. The disciples were right where Jesus put them. Secondly, they're going into a storm by his very design. The boat had gone such a short distance that the people were asking how. It says, because the wind was blowing against them and they were at a standstill. Some of you in this room say, Pastor, I've tried everything I know. I've pushed and I've lifted and I've pulled and I've tried and I've prayed and I've worked and I've given. and I, I'm, I'm just, It's just at a standstill. We, we've hit a wall. Anybody want to give a testimony? Yeah. 
I've done everything I can physically do. Mentally, I'm wrung out. Emotionally, I'm drained. Spiritually, I'm beginning to have doubts. And physically, I'm whipped. Welcome to the boat. Bible says the disciples had worked hard all night and that wind was not letting up and that those waves were not diminishing and that darkness was only going to get brighter in three hours. It's 3 a.m. Fourth watch of the night is 3 to 6. So dawn is coming, but dawn is not yet. When is the most miserable time when you're sleepless? It seems like it from 2 to 4 o'clock in the morning, time stands still and it is never going to be morning. Now put yourself out there alone with Jesus. He's in the night air wind gusting, high on a mountain, knowing his disciples are in a storm, and he's alone with God, and even that doesn't, doesn't deter him from praying. And those disciples are wondering, where in the world is Jesus? He said, I'm right here ever interceding for you, and I'm about to be your deliverer. But you got to realize you can't do some things on your own, and if you'll, if you'll wait a minute, I'm going to teach you something. There are things in life you can't do in your own strength. But if you'll trust me, I will see you through. Isn't that what we sang? The Bible says in the fourth watch of the night, although they've been sitting dead still and not making any progress, that's where some of you feel, Pastor, I just don't know what more to do. He said, just, just, just wait on the Lord, I'm coming. But, but it's been so long, he said, I, I'm coming. You think nine hours is a sweet trip when you thought you are going to be across in a couple? Thirdly, I want you to please remember this about this storm story. The disciples didn't park the boat and go search for Jesus. And Jesus didn't send out a search party to try to find them against the dark. The Bible says when Jesus finished praying, he walked right to where they were. Some of you think, I don't think he even knows, I don't think he even knows what I'm going through. Pa- pardon me? Pa- pardon me? The Bible says when he got through praying, I, I, I can't imagine this ability. Remember that those winds and waves are so strong, it's causing the disciples to think they're, gonna, they're not going to make it. I mean, the wind, have you ever been, a, maybe you've not been in a boat, a, a small boat. I'm not on a big boat. Big boats make you seasick. Small ones will scare the daylights out of you. You get on a small boat and a storm hit, and those waves, they don't have to be real big, and that boat just beating you to death, and you're thinking, are we ever going to get out of this? And, and then that bilge pump's doing all it can, but before long, if you have to go far enough across a pretty big body of water, that bilge pump is doing its best, but it's not doing good. The Bible says Jesus takes, <laughs> these waves that are beating the disciples up, this wind that's pushing them back so they can't get to their home shore. This storm that's so, so deadly. It's got the sky so dark. All they see is bolts of lightning and the thunder roll. And where is Jesus? Walking right across the surface of the very storm that's putting them to shame. He's under complete, has, them, has it completely in control under his feet. If I'm going to get help, I don't want somebody just going to come along and pat me on the back and say, I'm in this with you. If you don't mind, I'd just soon you be over there with, with me on the shore. I'm not real wild about right here. Jesus came walking on the very storm they were regretting they had entered. He walked across it like you're taking a sunny stroll through a park with your chihuahua. He was not at all nervous. 
He wasn't wringing his hands. He didn't have life preservers for the men in the boat. He went right to where they were. Listen, I don't know where you are, but I know somebody that knows right where you are. And he always meets us and comes to us. At the, now listen to me. He comes to us at the point when in complete faith and sometimes desperation, we say, Lord God, please, I have nowhere else to turn. It's not you and somebody else going to get me through. I put all my life and my faith in you. If there's something I can do that can help me, you show me and I'll do it. But if this is beyond my doing, I'm going to count on you to provide for me. Because, God, I want to serve you and I want you to get the glory. Now take me by the hand and lead me through this to victory, I pray. In Jesus' name. The Bible says in that moment, there was somebody that was there that wasn't in the boat. I love that story of Jacob who put his head on a pillow. He put his head on a pillow one night and he began to wrestle with somebody not of this world. And he wrestled and he wrestled all, all night. Did I mention this? They've been out there all night. Jacob wrestled all night. And early in the morning, the angel Lord said, let me go. Jacob said, uh-uh, no, sir, no, sir. We've been at it, if I can use Alabamanese, we've been tussling all night. I'm not about to let you go till you bless me. How bad do you want to get help? I'll not let go till you bless me. The Bible says suddenly Jesus, the angel of God, pre-incarnate Christ, said, what's your name, Jacob? See, the, the man he couldn't believe would come after him. The man he thought was coming after him was Esau. The one who came after him was the angel of God. Isn't that amazing? Not just so he'd have a good meeting with Esau, but so this young man who had always struggled with cheating and lying and deceit would have a heart transformation so he would be called the father Jacob of the sons of Israel. I remember three Hebrew boys in Babylon they weren't going to bend their knee to a pagan king. And so the wise men around the king said, if you'd make a, a decree that they got to bend down, bow down to your idol, they're going to be punished with death, that they'd bow down. They said, no, we're not, we not going to bow down to your idol. We're not going to do that. So they made a fire seven times hotter. It, it, it turned the men who were throwing them in the fire into dust. Now that's a pretty hot fire. The Bible says they went into the fire and suddenly the king looks in and he is a, he's amazed. He says, wait a minute, there, there's somebody else in there. There's a fourth man likened to the son of man. Does he know where you are when you're in the fire? Does he know where you are when you're in the wilderness afraid? Does he know where you are when you're in the midst of the storm and the waves are pummeling you? You better believe it. And the Bible says in that moment, he came to them. You know what he said? I love this. Have courage. <laughs> I don't always have that, do you, at 3 in the morning? I can think of 14 things that are going to go wrong by dawn. Can't you? Have courage. I am. Enough said right there. Don't be afraid. Well... I like that chorus we used to sing because there really is something when we realize he's here, you know. 
we need not be afraid. He's the deliverer of our, he's our deliverer in the midst of the storm. We had a song that I really did like we sang a few years ago. Here's the second verse in the chorus. If I can find it right here, excuse me just a minute. Through his, lo- through his love, the Lord provided a place for us to rest, a place to find the answers in the hours of distress. There never is a reason to give up in despair. Just slip away and breathe his name. He will surely meet you there. What's the chorus? In the presence of Jehovah, God Almighty, Prince of Peace. Troubles vanish, hearts are mended in the presence of the King. You hadn't lived till Jesus gets in your boat and sees you safely through. Do you understand Jesus uses storms? Now, now this is painful because we don't like storms. I don't like storms that hit me spiritually or emotionally. I don't like physical storms. I'm okay as long as the house is safe and it's not leaking and thunder and lightning's out there. But you let a window smash and the winds be blowing in or a tornado be coming right toward you. And I'm suddenly not a big fan. But, but here's what we need to realize in the storms of life. Jesus allows us to go through the storms because he wants to take us somewhere where we've not yet been. What if you always were content and you said, I don't don't ever want to change, and you got that mindset in the first grade? We'd sure have to start building bigger first grade desks, wouldn't we? At 66, I'd look a little stupid sitting in one of those little chairs. Do you know the people spiritually that trusted Jesus at nine and you're still in childhood remedial? You know people trusted Jesus at Falls Creek and if you ask them today, give us your testimony. I saved at Falls Creek when I was 16. Well, what's your testimony? Well, I saved when I was 16. So you're still in a junior in high school phase. Do you know why God sends the storms? Because the only way you and I are ever stretched from where you are in the present is to take us somewhere where we've not been before through the difficulty. You don't have to wonder, looking at me, if I'm in CrossFit training. That if I get CrossFit, it means my spoon got where my fork belongs. Some years ago, I did a revival and I was making a point, trying to be somewhat humorous, and I had on just a knit shirt, and that's never a pretty picture. And I said to the grown-up folks, as you can tell, I'm a jogger. And that woman said, you are not. I mean, out loud in front of God and everybody. <laughs> and I said, why not? You're fat. Oh, my. Well, thank you, ma'am, for your observation. <laughs> you know, you know, you know I, how I could be a jogger? If something really big chased me for about seven days. You know what God wants to do with us? Sometimes discomfort us, dislodge us, to say, would you just come, would you come here and grow up just a little bit in your faith? Uh, We've often given Peter a hard time when he said, Lord, if that's you, command me to come. Now, they thought as a ghost, don't don't be hard on them. This is the middle of the night. They've been in a storm all night, and they've grown up on this sea. And mariners believe that ghost of dead seamen still wander at night and especially in storms that they come out to take other seamen with them and 
pulled them under. And so this thing of Davy Jones' locker was true, not called that, but true even in, in biblical times because they believe in bodies of water where spirits dwell. You remember when Jesus cast the demons of legion into hogs? They ran into what? The Sea of Galilee. Demons, don't ask me to explain this, but there's a certain feel that the sea and water and its unrest and turbulence is the presence, because of the presence of demons. John would say in the Revelation, I saw no sea there. No iniquity, no, no demonic intrusion. So here they are in the middle of the night, and here comes somebody walking. Now, dimension, it's really dark because it's cloudy. And it's really scary because have you ever had water blown in your eyes for nine hours, and you're just trying to see any way and work, and you can't see good because water keeps going in your face, and you know you're spitting, and, and you've been busy, and suddenly all you see is a form. And when that light did flash, you see a form, and you say, there, there's some out there. And then it gets closer. There, no, there's somebody. It is not. Look again. Look, why, why, why was there that lightning? And here it comes. You say, well, that's somebody. I think it's a ghost. And boy, here goes your fears. Now you're already afraid. Now they go exponentially. He's coming after us. Well, he was, and he wasn't a ghost, but he was coming after them. And some scholars who are very liberal said he was just walking along the sand. They thought he was walking in the water. <laughs> if you believe that, see me later. I got land on the moon I want to sell you. Boys who grew up in the ocean know the difference between somebody walking and fishing along the sea bank and somebody walking toward them right where they were. And the Bible says, Peter said, Lord, if that's really you, command me. He didn't say anybody, command me to come. Now, Two or three things you can say. One is, first of all, Peter wasn't, he, he wasn't the sharpest. Some say that was really dumb to say, you think you can walk on water? Others said, how blasphemous to think you're God. Well, no, no, no. when a child says to daddy, I want to come to where you are, daddy. He's not saying, I want to be daddy. It's, I want to be where my daddy is. I think this was Peter's way of saying, Lord, I don't want to be deceived. And I sure don't like being scared. And be truthful, I've never believed in ghosts. But this year is a strange moment, and if you really are who you say you are, I'd know it if you use that word come, because every time you say come after me, I've done that, and I recognize it when you say it. Come, invite me to come, command me to come. Now, now listen to me, the minute Jesus said it, Peter didn't say, well, boy, I need to get a weather report. Is this about to let up? He's invite me to come out there, sure as a world. Uh, do y'all think I can make it? How many of y'all think I can make it? He didn't get a committee report. He didn't get a weather report. You know what he did? He did what Jesus said. Isn't that phenomenal? He just did what Jesus said. And he stepped out of the side of the boat. Now, how far was Jesus from the boat? Five yards? Five feet? I, I, it'd be forever if I was standing on water without a boat under me. How, how many steps did he take? I don't know. But I know this, suddenly when he realized I'm outside the safety of my... Now, now think what all he left. I'm leaving my business because that boat's my business. I'm leaving what's my home away from home. That boat's where I spend more time. I spend at home. I, I'm leaving my friends. Those in that boat are closer to me than my own brothers. I, I, I'm leaving the security. What little security I got in this storm is in that boat. I'm stepping out of what little security I got and standing out here in the middle of the night, in the middle of the ocean, at a command of somebody I can't even really see their face because it's so dark, but I heard his word, and I know it's him. And he steps out of that boat, and he starts toward Jesus, and all of a sudden one of those waves catches him mid-chest or right upside the head or maybe right in the face, and suddenly he thinks, what am I doing? 
he begins to look, say, oh my, here comes another one. Now don't take that, don't, don't beat him up when you're in the ocean and you're in waves and it's kind of deeper than you thought in that last one. You spit out salt and before you can get, look good and get out of it, here comes a, another one. And I mean, it's got your name on it. And about two of those, you say, I'm getting out of here. Peter saw those winds and the waves and he began to sink thinking, what, what am I doing out here? Jesus said, come here, Peter. No. No, Jesus has come as far as the boat. Peter said, invite me to come. And now Peter was sinking, but there was something else that needed to happen. Because Jesus had to teach Peter, you're going to have to call on and rely on me. Peter went down. Did he go down once? Now, he's a professional fisherman, so you wouldn't think he'd be spooked with just one good gulp full of water. Did he go down twice? Was Jesus 10 yards away? So Peter thought, I better call quickly because he's going to take a minute to get over here. And how far? I don't know how far the distance, but how many times going? I don't know. How many, how many gallons did he swallow before he hollered for help? I don't know. But at some point, he said, Whatever person in this room needs to say, whether you're in a storm or whether you've never met Jesus, he didn't suddenly start praying. Oh, we thank you for this night. It's a little bit more stormy than usual, but the wind is sure refreshing, and I needed a bath anyway, and those waves feel really, really good. I pray tonight for all the mariners on the seven seas and for the fishermen out there fishing. I hope they have the best catch ever. And Father, I hate to trouble you, but bless everybody tonight in Jerusalem and Galilee and help them sleep well. And if at all possible, if you could just deliver me from this storm, I'd be grateful. Amen. Did he pray that? If you got that in your Bible, you got a bad Bible. What did he pray? Lord, what do you pray when you're hurting? When you were outside, I see you, and it's your daddy, your mama, your wife, your husband. When you got that word, it's cancer. When you heard your child had had a bad car wreck, what did you pray? Did you pray, thank you for this day and all your many blessings. Was that your prayer? Lord, save me. It's a fisherman. This isn't some little nine-year-old. Lord, save me. His friends were sons of thunder. How loud was his voice? Lord, save me. You ever been desperate? You didn't whisper it, did you? Suddenly Jesus, just as a mama who hears her little infant crying in the bed in the next room over, got right to where he was, reached down his hand and reached, <laughs> reached down his hand and pulled that old burly fisherman up out of that water and walked him over to the boat like a little boy and they both got in the boat and you think Jesus said, boy, I'm proud of you, son. You did good. It's not what he said. You know what he said? Peter, when were you pulled in two directions? Why, why was he teaching him that? Because he's going to do it again, and he's got to learn to stay focused, or he's going to be useless. You see, Peter was one who was very eager to say what he thought, but it wasn't always right. Just a few days of the Lord's Supper... He's going to say to Jesus, these may all deny you, but I'd never deny you. He said, before the cock crows, will not. Oh, my, don't say that. Don't say that. You see, Peter was real quick to tell what he wouldn't do before he knew what he would do. I've never been guilty, but I've read books about people do that. I'll meet you at the altar with me. See, Jesus wants us to just keep our focus and more than that, keep our faith where the focus should be on his face. 
I, I love, I've quoted it so many times, you know I love that old hymn, Solid Rock. I've, I love it for many reasons. Hymns were written by theologians who were going through great struggles, through storms, and after the storm they'd write, they'd write their story. There's a preacher many years ago by the name of Edward Mote. He was a, a good preacher. He wasn't anybody that you'd say, wow, that's a great man. He, in fact, he was Barney Fife of Hymnody. He just wrote one. But boy, what a one. In his preaching, he went to a church, and through his leadership, they built a new building, and they felt so good about their pastor, Edward Mote. In those days, they said, why don't we just deed the building to you, and then it'll always be your chapel. He said, absolutely not. It's God's chapel, and you're, you're the people who will be here. In fact, here's what he said. I don't want your chapel. I only want the pulpit, and when I cease to preach Christ, you ought to kick me out of that. That's a pretty good, pretty good story. When you're in a storm, maybe you can remember the words of Edward Mote, who said, My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame of holy lean on Jesus, saying that's the one we often quote. Listen to these other verses. When darkness seems to hide his face, his face, when darkness seems to hide his face, I rest on his unchanging grace. And every high and stormy gale my anchor holds within the veil. His oath, his covenant, his blood support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope. And stay on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Would you look with me at the text one other moment and we're going to quit. Here it is. Mark, Matthew 14, 31. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand, called hold of Peter. He said to him, you have a little faith. When were you pulled in two directions? And when they got in the boat, <laughs> the lesson was over. When they got in the boat, the men didn't say, what manner of man is this this time? The Bible says when they got in the boat, the wind ceased. And then those disciples in the boat worshipped him. And they said of him, truly, you are the Son of God. My greatest hope during this series on storm shelter is that we won't so focus on the storm. We'll focus on the one who saw us through. So that those who have not yet been delivered will be able to say, if he'll do that for you, I'm going to trust him to do that for me. Some of you today are in the storm of sin. You need to repent and come to know Christ. That's your shelter. And so the first thing you need to do in this whole series, say, I'm starting a new year with Jesus. You come. In a minute, pastors will be standing right here. Say, I need to trust Jesus. You come. You're not going to get through the storm by yourself. In fact, just see how you're doing. Some of you need to come get in a church home. You need brothers and sisters to pray with you through the storm. You're not in any church. You just go here a little while and there a little while and kind of always migratory. You need to come and plant your life. I'm inviting you to do that today. Some need to be baptized. Some of us just need to be delivered. What do I mean by that? We've been fighting so long, we have long since even had the courage to call on God. Well, maybe you ought to muster enough courage today to say, God, I can't do this anymore. Can't do it anymore. I'm going to ask you to help me. Because only you can see me through. Stand with me, would you? Father, it's so good today to be reminded that we're not the first one to ever go through a storm. And we're not alone in the storm and we're not to run from them. The disciples, had not, they were not living in disobedience. They would not moved away from Christ. They would gotten to the very boat where Christ put them to go in a storm that Christ knew they were going to be in. But he also knew he was going to find them and deliver them that they might begin to worship and focus on him. I pray today for all in this room.
please let us have a divine encounter with God of the real kind. Help us not this today and through this series just go through the motions, but let us really focus, really look away from our storms to the one who's the Lord of all. Renew our faith and, and rejuvenate our times of prayer and draw near to God because when we do, you'll draw near to us. You know who needs to come this morning. So, Father, I pray you'll just give freedom on this first Sunday of a new year. May we be about the Master's business, walking toward Jesus from the storm into the glory of the face of the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to sing. You need to come. The pastors are here. Come right now. Won't you do it? Let's sing.